Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. I just want to say thank you to you as well because you're incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm really honored. And when the invitation was made for me to come and be a part of this day, uh, because they are so, such a humbling moment, but because they're such incredible people, I, I, I wanted to be a part of this. And I'm glad that I have the privilege of being here today. But, um, you know, I, I know uh, over the last few months and, and year or so that there's been even some more challenging seasons for you guys with John's health and some of those things. And, and I know that sometimes we, and you guys do it well, uh, here, you don't just say Pastor John, you say Pastor John and Pastor Kaya because you recognize the team that they are. But, and I, I don't think this is taking anything away from Pastor John, but I want to tell you, Pastor Kaya has been an incredible force in this journey of recovery. And we salute you. We salute you. Amen. I was thinking about a story that I'd come across a few months ago about this uh, Fortune 500 CEO. And uh, him and his wife had gotten, decided they were going to take a drive and gotten their expensive Ferrari and was driving down and just enjoying this weather and all those kinds of things and decided they needed to stop and refuel. So he pulled into the gas station and she decided she was going to go in and get a couple of bottles of water just to give them something to drink while they continued. And uh, the, the car was completely refueled and she had not come back out from the gas station where she had gotten those bottles of water. And so curious, you know, curious of what was taking her so long, he peeked in and saw her having this, you know, lengthy conversation with, you know, almost giddy joy in her voice talking to the cashier behind the register. And it just kind of puzzled him for a minute. And he just kind of, you know, made his presence known and said, honey, it's time for us to go. We need to get on down the road. And and uh, so he was, you know, obviously feeling a little uncomfortable with her giddy conversation with the clerk and not sure what all that was about. And they're driving down the road and silence has filled the car because there's a little tension about what just happened here. And, and uh, he's thinking about it and he decides he's going to break the ice uh, in this conversation. And he says, so what was that conversation about anyway? I mean, you, you seem like a giddy high school girl talking to this guy behind the counter. She goes, oh, oh, oh. She goes, I, that was my very first boyfriend in high school. And we haven't seen each other in a long time. And we were just getting caught up and just hearing, you know, the stories of each other's life. And of course, that didn't sit well with him either, you know. And so he's more tight-fisted, more white-knuckled on the steering wheels. They're going down the road and it comes to him, this ideal comes to him. He says, well, I was just thinking, you're probably really, really glad you married me as a Fortune 500 CEO, because if you had married him, you'd be married to a gas station attendant. And she said, you know, I was thinking about that too. And I was thinking, it's a good thing for you I married you, or you would have been the gas station attendant, and he would have been the Fortune 500 CEO. <laughs> Yeah. So sometimes we don't have the right perspective, but you do in this house. You do in this house. You know, you know that both Pastor John and Pastor Kaya are both incredible, incredible people, and uh, we salute them both. So let me get back to my real assignment today. And uh, when I was interacting with Raquel and preparing for the day, I, just, I try to, if, I, if there's a theme, if there's a way I can tie in and connect up, I like to do that. And when she sent me the, the theme for the day, anything can happen. Of course, you've lived anything can happen. 
and you are living, anything can happen. Um, when I thought about that, it just leaped in my spirit uh, because none of you would know this, but in the church that I pastor, in its very early beginnings, when uh, great faith miracle people, that names that you wouldn't recognize today, but of the old, old school, like Amy Simple McPherson, and these were miracle working people. Well, she was ministering in uh, the church that I pastor in a different building, but in that church. And they had created a banner that stretched across the top of that stage for those crusade services that she had. And across that stage banner lettering was the words, God is here, anything can happen. And you know, when you get that in your spirit, you realize that we serve an unlimited God. We know that, we say that, but boy, when you get to those words like anything and everything, those absolutes, those infinity type words, it just really causes you to appreciate just what kind of an awesome God we really serve. And uh, there are many times whenever I've come to our congregation and I've, I've said to them and I've said to many places, I have a really simple theology. I'm not a real complex guy. Like I said, I'm more cornbreads and beans. It's got to make sense to me in simple ways. But I have this real simple theology that now I can just reference it in church and I can start it and the congregation can finish it. But it simply says, I believe my God can do anything. And I'll start off and I'll say, you know, my theology is I believe and they'll go, my God can do anything. It just roars. And I really think that sometimes we can overcomplicate things when we really just have to get back to that basic factor that, you know, you can try to explain away and you can try to justify and clarify and make sense out of, but you're always going to come up short to have an adequate vocabulary or illustration or expression to fully characterize who our God is. And so for me, I just like to say, I believe my God can do anything. And when I thought about that theme and anything can happen kind of idea, I begin to think about some experiences in Scripture. And I know that today being pastor appreciation, we could talk about Scriptures like give honor unto whom honor is due. We could talk about I love one of the phrases that Paul speaks of himself when he said, uh, I'm very willing to spend and be spent for the cause of Christ. He's willing to lay it all on the line and you have leaders like that. Um, those that have been around me, and I know Pastor John and Kai have, have heard me speak in a number of different places, and um, I, I love stories about Job. I love stories about David. And David's probably my big hero in Scripture. And I was looking back through some things, and I actually found that, that when I was with you back in 2014, I talked about an episode in David's life that I was drawn back to again today. And I, I, I looked at it and I said, well, Lord, why am I coming back to this again? And many of you probably weren't there in 2014, but, but it was like when I spoke it then, it was prophetic. And what I'm going to share with you today is realization. Right. It's declaration. It is happening it's no longer something in the future. It's something that is unfolding right now in your midst. You're experiencing this. And even though I, obviously our attention is to give tribute and honor to your leadership, one of the things you have to understand as a congregation, much like the nation of Israel understood about their leaders, spiritual and kings, is that the way of the nation was often determined by the way of its leadership. When the leadership was good, the nation blessed, prospered, was at peace. 
when God's hand was upon them and they were submitted to God's authority and influence in their life, everybody benefited from that experience. But when someone was kind of rebellious and doing their own thing, then there was not so much of that favor and blessing falling upon the nation. And so I, I, I was thinking about David's life and I went back and I, I was reminding myself of kind of what we will call the, the high point of David's journey uh, we, we don't have time to unpack his whole life. You know his story, pretty basic, from a shepherd boy to his journeys, running from Saul, armor bearer, all those kinds of things. But I think the, the, for many people, at least for me, one of the pinnacle moments of his life is found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And that's where I want to take you. 2 Samuel chapter 5, three simple verses. And for those of you that know enough of his life, you know that this is the moment where his life is actually taking that final stage that the prophet Samuel had spoken over him when he was just a little youth pulled out of the shepherd's field and anointed with oil. When the prophet said, one day you're going to rule over the whole house of Israel. He, he could see literally 17 years down the road, this is what David's life was going to be. Nobody else could see it as clearly as the prophet Samuel could see it. Even David probably couldn't imagine it in his own mind. But finally, after 17 years, this stage is now set for this season that he has been dreaming of. And I'm bringing the correlation that in 2014 when I shared this message, I was talking about the seasons that your leadership and your church would go through to reach that point that God was going to bring you into greater fulfillment. But what you're going to hear today is some ways that God is still unpacking and still releasing and using and is about to use even in this season your leadership, as well as you as a church in this community. So uh, I want you to look with, this, with me for these scriptures. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are, bone, we are your bone and your flesh. I, I want to just take this each verse real quickly because I want you to sense the correlation because David was what we call a homegrown boy. He was one that had lived among them. He had been there. This was not an import from another nation. He, they knew him from the ruddiness of his youth. They knew him all of his life. And, and so they had a sense of connection because of his longevity and his presence. And I thought about that, about your leadership and, and the presence that they've had in this community for many, many years that God has raised them up right here from among you to take on this assignment that God is using in this particular incredible way right now. And then it says, they said, indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. And in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. In other words, what they were acknowledging was that there's been certain achievements that have been accomplished or fulfilled under David's leadership that could only really be attributed to him. And he didn't walk with arrogance. David never boasted of himself, but people saw something in him and said, this is a person that doesn't just talk, he does. He's a doer, not just a, a, you know, somebody that wants to be a flash in the pan and have high recognition, but he wants to get something done. And David didn't care about who got the recognition or who got the praise for it. He just wanted to make an impact. He wanted something good to happen. And so they recognized that. But the third point is probably the point that I personally value the most out of all three of these notations that is made in this passage. Not only did it say that they were your bone and your flesh and that we see that you're the one that has actually been leading and bringing about the good things in the nation of Israel, 
But they went on to say, and the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. And here's what I want you to see in that. They recognized God's selection. They, they saw that God, not man, but God, had put his hand upon David for an assignment. And that because God had put his hand upon David's life and its leadership, that they, because they submitted themselves to the leader, they were in process also lead, submitting themselves to God's choice, God's plan. You know, that wasn't always so. Remember, roll it back before Saul became king and when God's plan was to be what we call a theocracy where God was their king and prophets and priests would deliver the word to them. And they said, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be like the nations that have kings. And Samuel said, you don't know what you're asking for. You're going to get what you want, but you're going to lose what you have. You're going to get you a king, but you're going to lose this divine blessing that you've been living under, under the theocracy that you have. And so I, I always tell people, you can get what you want, but you'll lose what you had in the process. And so they, they made a choice and they got Saul and Saul had his season in there. And God allowed that, I think, for obvious reasons, which we don't have time to unpack here today. But remember when the transition from Saul to David was taking place, the declaration was, I want to give them a king after my own heart. Saul had his own agenda. Saul, what, he had his own plan. He had his own uh, 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 course that was charted. He, he knew what he wanted to do, but he wasn't always ready to submit to God's plan. That's why many times the downfall of Saul was that he took matters into his own hands. And you remember the big line for me is when God corrects him, Saul I'm speaking of, when he corrects him through the prophet and said to him, when you were little in your own eyes, you were big in God's eyes. But when you got big in your own eyes, you became nothing in the sight of God. We have to remember that about all of us. You know, some days we think, look how good we are. And God said, just let me tell you, you ain't that good. You're good, but you ain't that good. And whatever deficiency there is in you, I'm the one that makes the gap up in your life and makes you better than what you can be by yourself. But I love the fact that they recognize that the Lord said, and we honor the Lord's word. The Lord said, you shall be a shepherd over the nation of Israel. And they accepted God's choice. And so I, I, I say to you as a congregation today, you have one who has come from among you. You're, he's your bone. He's your flesh. You undoubtedly have seen their leadership and the influence and the impact that they've made. They don't just talk it. They get things done. And without question in this room, we have before us today two individuals that God has put his hand upon to lead this church, this ministry, this season, and this community. And the more you honor that and recognize that, God says there's going to be an overflow of his favor and blessing that comes to you as well. Now, there's some, some play out pieces on this that I want to talk about, but I want to bless the word first. Father, thank you for John and Kaya and this incredible congregation. And Lord, of all the relationships they have, there are so many great communicators and apostles and prophets that people could do probably so much more profound job today. But Lord, you've granted me this honor and I, I thank you for it. And I pray that what I've developed in my spirit for this morning, what, what you have cultivated in my heart to share today would not only be a word of, of encouragement and inspiration and challenge to Pastor John and Pastor Kaya, but to this entire congregation, not only in the room, but watching online, wherever they may be listening and watching and viewing. Lord, they're a part of this ministry as well. And Lord, collectively, together, through all means and all methods we can pull together, 
this, this ministry and under this leadership of these great leaders are going to embark upon even greater things because we believe you have prepared for them a way that is incredible that anything can happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. One of the things I, I often talk about when I think about David is the fact that, and, and that David in his life experienced three public anointings. He had what I call many private anointings, meaning that sometimes we see the ceremonial version of anointing where the prophet comes and anoints him or, or the leaders of Judah come and anoint him or the leaders of Israel come and anoint him. But I can assure you that long before there was ever a public ceremony, there were private anointings going on in David's life. And you and I need to understand that, that before God ever puts that public anointing upon our lives that, that people can celebrate at, at this kind of a level, that we have to pay the price for that private anointing where God deals into our life and, and we pour ourselves out before him. I, I can't imagine all those conversations and all those moments when David was out taking care of his father's flock and, and he would just get alone with God and he was writing poetry and writing songs and just experiencing God's presence like we were as you were leading us in worship of even just a few moments ago. But as he's just sitting in his presence and singing things like, God, it's not about what you've done for me or what you can do. I just want to sit here in your presence. I, I just want to soak up who you are right now in my life. And that's what brought such deep anointing in David's life. But what I've noticed in my life and in ministries and others and in, in, in throughout the scriptures, I've noticed that there's this uh, um, progression of anointing that gets stronger and stronger and stronger as we are faithful with what we've been entrusted with. That's a biblical principle that if you're faithful in the little things, he'll make you ruler over much, right? And, and ultimately, there is that declaration of Jesus himself when Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, bind up the broken heart. You know the passage of, of Jesus announcing his agenda. But there's another verse of Scripture that says that Jesus was given the Holy Spirit without measure which means he took the caps off. He went all the way to the extreme. Whereas many times for us, we have to be tested. We have to be proven to be faithful because there are people who can be abusers of authority. They can be abusers of anointing. And so God's going to test us to see if we can remain servant-minded, if we can remain humble, if we can remain his servants most of all. And then that anointing comes upon us to allow us to achieve greater things. And so in David's life, there's, and I don't have time to unpack all these pieces literally, but because I want to talk about this latter portion, but, but you see that there was, first of all, this opportunity for all of us to experience different levels of anointing. All of us have the opportunity. God sets before us a, a pathway that you can grow deeper and deeper in your relationship with God. And, and you've seen it. You've seen people who maybe when they first started out in worship ministry, they, they were struggling. Maybe they were trying to put it all together, but now they've matured in that gift. And now that anointing flows without any hesitation. You just sense it. You've seen Bible teachers who maybe the first few times if you'd seen them trying to teach a Bible lesson, they'd stutter and look at their notes nervously and forget where they were. But now it's like they don't even need notes. It's just like flowing out of their belly, you know, just this fountain of wealth of information and, and capacity. And, and so what I'm seeing is that for all of us, this is not a restricted benefit that just comes to Pastor John and Pastor Kaya, but it's something that God wants to take an entire congregation through. He wants to take the entire nation, if you will, through these stages of greater anointing, greater presence, greater power upon our lives. 
And so when you look back over David's life, you see them, they're very fundamental. Number one, there was what we call the initial anointing. That's when Saul went to David's father's house and said, uh, God has sent me here to anoint one of your sons to be king. And he looked through all of them and didn't find one. And he asked, do you have another? And yes, I have one, but he's not much. They called him in and he wasn't much to look upon. He didn't have the height of his brothers, didn't have the stature of others. But, but immediately when, when Samuel saw him, he knew that that was the one and God was speaking to him and said, I know what you're thinking, Samuel. Why this one? Because you're judging him from the outside. But he said, God looks on the heart while man's looking. But that initial anointing, let me tell you for all of us, that initial anointing is so important because if you don't handle the initial anointing well, you'll never be given a chance to go to another level of anointing in your life. When I was 14 years of age, I sensed the call of God upon my life, and I knew that, that there was no doubt in my mind and in my heart that God was going to somehow allow me to be involved in the ministry. I didn't know the full scope of what that would look like, but I knew I was called at that point. And so I went and told my pastor, I feel that the God has called me, and, and he said, well, Terry, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to be faithful. You need to stay in the Word. You need to stay faithful in church. And as opportunities are given to you, you need to not treat them lightly. You need to treat them with full diligence. And I said, okay, and, and he said, so where do you, where do you want to go? What, what are you believing God for? I said, someday I just want to stand before people and just preach my heart out and, and deliver what I believe God's saying to them through me. I want to be the, the voice on behalf of God. And he said, okay, well, let me think about that. And he came back to me a couple weeks later. And he said, I've got your first assignment for you. And I said, great. What Sunday do I get to preach? He said, well, you can start next Sunday. I'm like, awesome. So I'm thinking I'm going to get to preach in the main sanctuary on that first Sunday. And I, he goes, well, we're going to put you back there with those eight to 10-year-old boys back there in children's church. We want, we want to see what you can do with them. You know? And I'm thinking, I don't want to preach to eight to 10-year-old boys. I want to preach. I want to preach to some adults. You know? but, but the Lord checked me and said, if you'll be faithful in the little, can, can you get a... Because those boys didn't want to pay attention to anything. Can you capture their attention? Can you tell a story that the Word of God will be deposited in them? Can you, can you connect with them? Because if you can connect with them, you'll be able to connect with the adults, but you got to be able to make that connection. And so I owned that responsibility. And the Lord just blessed that group, and we had some, some incredible things happen in that time. And there was a maturing going on in my life because, you know, like at 14, you can't drive a car yet, right? So you have to mature not only in physical age and opportunity, but you had, I had to develop and mature in my ministry as well. And when I came to be about 16, my pastor came to me and said, I think you're ready for another level. I think you're ready for another assignment. I said, what, what assignment would that be? He said, I want you to preach in the youth service. Now, this sounds like a good deal, but the problem with that is, is that the youth group are all the friends I went to school with. It's kind of hard to preach to your peers, right? Because they remember when you got mad at school or when you didn't treat things right at school or when you were on the basketball court and things didn't go right and you were upset. They see you, you know, every day of the week and now you got to deliver the word to them. And, and I, I said, you know, that's not going to be easy. He said, it'll hold you accountable. And I said, yes, sir, it will. He said, because the next level of anointing is an advanced anointing, but it requires greater accountability. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll take that responsibility. And so I, I knew it meant greater discipline in my life, self-discipline, not imposed by other people, accountability, high profile. And that's what happened to David. David had been a giant killer. He had been a killer of lions and bears. He had delivered farming village of Keilah. He had taken hundreds of men who were in debt, in distress and discontent out of that cave of Adullam and transformed them into warriors for Christ. 
And now God says, I'm, I'm going to open the door and give you a chance to lead your peers. And so that little tribe of Judah, because the nation of Israel was divided at the time, and Judah and Benjamin were on their own, and the 10 tribes of the north were made up the northern kingdom known as Israel. But Judah came to them and said, we want you to be our king. Saul is dead, and we want you to be our king. And you know what David could have said? No, I'm, I'm waiting for a better offer. Because the prophet said I was going to be king over all of Israel, not just over little Judah and Benjamin. He could, have, he could have taken it as an insult, but he understood that he had to grow through his anointing. He had to grow through these stages. And so I had to do that. I had to stand in front of my peers as a youth leader and preacher, and, and they could see me in my worst days and my bad days, and I had to learn how to apologize and live transparent and be authentic and not be a fake and all those kinds of things. You had to, you had to work through that. But in the process of time, there came a day when, when the opportunity came, and my pastor said, I think you're ready for another level. I think you're ready to minister to the adult congregation and, and then doors begin to open for evangelism and other places of ministry. And I saw this progression happening in my life and I think this happens regularly. You, I think we go from an initial anointing and by the way, you don't get to an advanced anointing if you don't handle the initial anointing, right? And then you go to that advanced anointing where you're gonna be held to a higher level of accountability, higher level of responsibility. And if you don't handle that well, if you don't like responsibility and accountability, you've put the lid on how far you're going to go. But if you can still submit and grow, I'm talking about only about your leaders, but I'm talking about you as a church member and a church family. If you can say, okay, God, it's, we got to step it up here. We got to get, we got to get more dedicated, more consecrated. We can't operate with mediocre spirituality and expect extraordinary results in the kingdom of God. You know, one of the greatest tragedies that happens is when people give a first-class commitment to a second-class cause. I see it happen all the time. People have misplaced priorities, and so they're, they're all gung-ho, and they're all fired up, and they give all this compulsive energy to the wrong thing. And I'm thinking, if we could just harness that and put that in the right direction and use it for the kingdom purposes, how much different could it be? I mean, look at Saul, Paul in the New Testament. He had all this harnessed energy. He was using it in a destructive force. But when he was willing to experience Christ in a personal way and experience transformation and become accountable to, to others for his actions and for his conduct, he was going to go to a whole other level in his life. And so David, when, when the leaders of Judah came to him and said, we want you to be king over just the smaller kingdom, that's all we have jurisdiction over, David didn't snarl up his nose and say, no, I'm not interested. Come back when you can give me the whole deal. He said, I'll do what, what's in front of me. And he, he exercised, I don't have time to unpack it, but he, he exercised some extraordinary characteristics of leadership in that about seven plus years over Judah. Amen. And then finally, 2 Samuel chapter five happens, the verses that we wrote, read today. He went from the initial anointing to the advanced anointing. And now that Israel, the, the leaders of Israel are coming to him and saying, we want you to be the king over all of Israel. The, the words that Samuel the prophet spoke over you when you were just a little boy have now come to pass. We want you to be king over all of Israel. And David sensed in his heart that he was going to another level, not just literally from what I call the little palace to the big palace, and not just from two tribes to 12 tribes, but there were gonna be some things that were gonna happen in the nation of Israel that had never happened before. And here's what I want you to zero in with me because I believe what he experienced in 2 Samuel chapter five was what I've referred to today in keeping with your theme and anything can happen anointing. There is nothing off 
the limits. There's nothing that cannot literally be achieved if you understand the value and the significance of this anointing. And I wish I could just walk you through the rest of his life in, in so many different ways, but I'm just gonna give you just a couple of examples of the way this anything can happen anointing unveiled itself for the nation of Israel. Because in 2 Samuel chapter five, what it tells us immediately was that on Temple Mount, which is where the, the tent of meeting that they had carried across the, the, from the promise to the promised land and set up as their worship site, where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be, but it had been stolen and lost in battle, where this Temple Mount was, there was another fortress that had been built on Temple Mount, and it was called the Tower of the Jebusites. And the Jebusites were a, a, a very corrupt people. In fact, some people don't realize this, but when Joshua was invading the Promised Land, and he was told by God to drive out all the inhabitants, because if you leave any of them behind, they're going to be a thorn in your side. They're going to be problems that you're going to have to contend with. But Joshua and the children of Israel found this one group of people called the Jebusites so stubborn, so difficult to deal with, they, just, they negotiated a deal to let them stay as long as they paid taxes to them. I say some pastors do this. They say you can stay as long as you pay tithe. Not your church. I'm just talking about churches in large, right? Wouldn't happen here. But, but they sometimes negotiate. They, they well, you know, I know how bad they are. I know how stubborn they are. I know they're hard to get along with, but we just got to kind of learn how to deal with them. And so Joshua and the children of Israel had just kind of left them there. But David, when he became king, he was upset because they had built this tower next to the tent, the canvas tent, which was supposed to be where God's presence was marked. They had a well-fortified tower. And at the top of this tower, they had put these images like uh, gargoyles, like evil images of evil beasts. And, and so they, they overshadowed the tent. So when the sun was rising or when the sun was setting one time or another, when the tower got between the sun and the tent, these ugly images would cast a shadow on the tent. And even though they were supposed to be worshiping God on the inside, if you looked up at the tent, you would see the outline of an evil beast. And it was signifying that even though this was God's land, there is an evil presence hanging over and somebody needs to get rid of spiritual enemies and spiritual adversaries in high places. Somebody is going to have to tear down the strongholds of the adversary. And David said, I'm coming after you. That's job number one. I'm knocking down that tower. And they laughed at him. They said, good luck, buddy. Nobody's been able to climb these walls. Nobody has been able to take us down. And we're not told exactly how. Other than this, we do know that David somehow with his men were able to invade the tower of the Jebusites, destroy it, and get rid of it once and for all. And I'm here to tell you that there is an evil one who would like to stop the work that you're doing, who would like to keep his strongholds in this community. But with an anything can happen anointing, God says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The addicted can be set free. The bound can be made whole. The broken can be healed. There is nothing too difficult for my God. When I read about those Jebusites, and I want to draw a line here for you, but when I thought about those Jebusites, I realized that in, in, in prayer circles, and in, I don't know, some of you probably are more deeply connected. We have different gifts of evangelism and intercessory prayer, and we kind of are stronger in some areas. But, but I know that there are some people who understand about territorial spirits and how they set themselves up in regions. 
And I, I was thinking as I, as I came in last night and, and was pulling in this area and drove by here, you know, there was a day nobody ever thought there was going to be a church on this corner. Not in this building. There was a lot of other stuff going on around here, but not here. But when you have that anything can happen anointing, the darkness gets pushed away. And the brightest spot in this shopping center right now is not one of these other businesses around the corner. It's what God is doing, touching lives, changing destinies, transforming people right here on this campus. So anything can happen. You can pull down the spiritual strongholds like the Jebusites. That's what he did first. The second thing that happened is the Philistines came out to meet him. Now, that was not unusual. David fought a lot of Philistine armies in his day from Goliath uh, at the very beginning of his journey to all the different episodes. But here's what was different about this confrontation by the Philistines. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that the Philistine army, when they heard that David had been anointed to be king, they came out to meet him. Now, I just want to give you a note here. They didn't come out to congratulate him. Oh, congratulations, David. We finally see that you've won the opportunity to be king. No, they came out to stop him because they knew if he could solidify his leadership as the king, he, if he could take the, 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 the men in the cave of Adullam, if he could take those men, 400 men in debt, in distress, and discontent, and transform them into a force to contend with that wrecked havoc on the Philistine nation, what would happen if David became the king over all of Israel and got all these warriors under his command? So you know what it says? It said they filled the valley of Rephaim. They filled it. They filled it with every Philistine they could, and they chanted him, come out and fight us, come out and fight us. And David, the Bible says, went down into the stronghold and prayed and said, Lord, should I go up and fight? Because David was smart. Even when he became king, he didn't assume he could do whatever he wanted to do. He still needed to check in with God because this was still God's nation, not his nation. Sometimes we think we know, but we, can, we need to verify. You know what I'm saying? So David went down and verified and said, Lord, should, should I go up and fight him? He said, yeah. And he said, well, will I win? He said, oh, you're going to win. You're going to win big. I love this story in a number of different reasons. I wish I could take you longer in here, but, but one of the things that you have to remember is that it's believed that the Valley of Rephaim was the same place that David fought Goliath when he was just a shepherd's boy. Can you imagine the flashback that David had when he came up out of that prayer meeting and looked across there, and the first time he had looked across the Valley of Rephaim, he saw one giant and all the nation of Israel cowarding. Nobody wanted to take him on, and he went out and fought him by himself. But today he ain't fighting one. He's fighting a whole wall of Philistine giants. But look at the courage of him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's one or a thousand or 10,000 of them because the strength of this battle is not on me. The strength of this battle is on him because it's not my power that's gonna wipe this army out. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I know you face some devils. You know that. Anytime you change levels, you change devils. And so people usually say, I don't know if I want to go another level because that last level was pretty demonic, you know. And like, I just tell people, I know another level brings another devil, but I also know another devil brings another level. And you've been fighting devils, but I'm telling you, the reason why you fought this devil was not to challenge you or to make you comfortable. He doesn't give you another anointing to make it easier for you. He gives you another anointing so you can conquer something you've never been able to conquer before. And as much as you have done up to this day, get ready. You ain't seen nothing yet. God is about to do greater and mightier and more demonstrative things than even you can imagine here today. Because he doesn't waste his anointing. It's not put on display for a museum appearance. It's used to conquer. 
So David first conquers the Jebusites, then he destroys the Philistines, and they're all at all how that he wiped out an entire army. The largest known gathering of Philistines on any one occasion was fought that day in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And he's sending a message to the nations. Watch out. There's an anointing on David like never before. And I believe the people around this complex and around this city and around this area are saying, we've seen what God has been doing at the building. We've seen what God's been doing through their leadership and through that congregation, but it seems like there's nothing stopping them. It's like they're going to the next level, to the next level, to the next. What are they going to do next? What are they going to do next? The scripture says that it's at that time that David, having conquered the Jebusites and gotten rid of the Philistines, knew that in the last battle that Saul had, he lost the Ark of the Covenant. And he said, it's time to get the Ark back. You know why? Because David said, it's not enough for me to have the anointing on me. We need the anointing on our nation. We need an anointing on our congregation. We, we See, sometimes people, and I, I understand the, the natural honor and respect that we should give to leadership, Okay. But in, that, that's the office that we're giving honor to, right? We give honor to the office. But let me tell you, the same anointing that's on my life, the same anointing that's on Pastor John and Kaya's life can be on your life. Just because you have a different office doesn't mean you should have less anointing. When they got ready to, to expand the early church in the book of Acts, and they had the needs of the widows being neglected. The Greeks and the Hebrew widows were having a fight. There was racism going on because they felt one group was getting better treatment than the other ones. And the disciples said, you know what? We've got to keep doing what we're doing. We're praying, reading the scriptures where the word of God is multiplying. People are getting saved. But if we slow down and, and have to take care of these responsibilities to meet the needs of these widows, and they should be taken care of, but we need to find somebody who can do them. But one of the criteria that they gave was that they had to be full of the Holy Ghost. He didn't even want them handing out bread baskets if they didn't have the anointing of the Holy Ghost on their lives. Friends, there is nothing in this ministry that should be done apart from the anointing. Because when you're not operating with a dependency on the anointing, you're operating on the arm of the flesh and it will never be sufficient to break the yokes of bondage and to tear down the strongholds of the adversary. I forgot to check my time when I got started, so you guys are going to have to watch me out here. When I started out in evangelism, I was in the far northern part of California, Rica, Arcadia, California area, up near the Oregon line. I had preached a revival there for about four weeks. It was just an incredible, incredible time. But the pastor came to me, and he said, Brother Terry, I think maybe uh, you finish out Sunday morning, and I know you've got another meeting. They've been waiting for you to get there. So why don't you pack up your stuff? That was staying in the parsonage. Why don't you pack up your stuff and get ready to go, and, and I'll preach tonight and give you a night off, and you can get rested up and head on down. And so I said, okay. So I, I preached that morning, and I ate lunch with them, and I was starting to bring my suitcases and my clothes out and putting them in my car and getting ready to go. And, 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 and as I was walking back... And, and, you hear my heart on this thing because I am not anti-sports. I'm not anti-TV. I'm not any of that, okay? But as, he was, as I was walking back and forth, I kept seeing him watch this football game on TV. And again, nothing wrong with that. But the, the more I was going back and forth and the closer it was getting to church time, I began to wonder if I misunderstood him and that I was preaching and he was not preaching because I'm thinking, why in the world would you want to sit in front of television all day long after a four-week revival if you're going to preach tonight, Right? So finally, I said something to him. I said, Pastor, I just, I'm confused here. I just want to make sure. I know I'm packing stuff up, and you, I preached this morning, and you said you were preaching tonight, but, but 
I'm just concerned that you're watching the football game and I don't really, I don't mean to be judgmental, but I don't see you kind of getting in the mindset to preach tonight. And I really don't want to see four weeks of revival go down the tube in one service, you know. So that's all right, I'm taking care of it. This went on for a little while and I kept bugging him. I kept, look, at this point, I'm wanting to take over the service. I'm like, please, let me preach tonight. You're so into the game, the game's in overtime now and you just can't get broken away. You need a little time to focus before you preach tonight. And, and he said, no, it's okay, I promise you. And finally, I came through here on this one of these occasions, and, and I was, again, please let me preach. I just feel like you should just be off the hook tonight. Let me go ahead and preach. I've been praying for you all afternoon anyway. I'm really prayed up by now. He said, I knew I'd become a nuisance to him, and he muted the TV, and he said, follow me. And he walked out, and in the garage, he had had this makeshift office that he had operated out of, and and he, on the shelves, he had his books and Bibles and resources that he had developed. And there's nothing wrong with, I, I've, I've kept messages from days gone by. You sing songs more than once. So you can preach a message more than once. There's nothing wrong with it. But, but, but there was just something about how this unfolded. And he was thumbing through here on this bookcase and he found this folder and he opened it up and he took out this sermon and he threw it on the table, kind of tossed it there before me. And he made these words, this declaration to me. He said, Terry, I want to tell you how, how this worked. This message is so good I can preach it with or without God. That's what I did. But let me just put it in perspective. And I'm not suggesting it happens here. I'm just saying I travel around a lot. But if a worship team ever walks on this platform and tries to sing out of their talent and they don't pray and ask God's anointing, they're doing the same thing he did. They're saying, we're so good, we can do this with or without God. If a Sunday school teacher walks in to teach a kindergarten class and hasn't been praying over that class and over that lesson that they're going to teach that day because they're smart enough to read the manual and they know how to tell the story and they don't really need to spend time in prayer, they're saying the same thing that preacher did. This lesson's so good and I'm so good I can do this with or without God. And I just want to tell you, we're not. We're not able to do it with or without God because without him, we can do nothing. Nothing eternal is going to happen without the anointing of God upon our life. And so David said, we've got to get the ark back because this nation, there's not just the the king not only needs to be anointed, everything in this nation needs to be anointed. Every leader, every influencer, every temple worker, every Levite, every person who has an assignment, every person giving bread to the poor, everyone needs an anointing, but we've got to bring the ark back. And you know, there was a failed attempt and we can't unpack all that. But ultimately he brings it back and replaces it back in the temple, uh, the tent of uh, meeting where the spirit of God would now rest with the fire of God by night and the cloud of uh, cloud by day, resting over it to signify God's presence was there among them. And I just want to tell you, I don't want to do a church service without knowing his presence is here. I don't want to preach a service without knowing his presence is here. I don't want to teach a Sunday school lesson without knowing his presence here. I don't want you to click a point on that computer to the next PowerPoint unless the anointing is helping us here today because nothing happens apart from the anointing. He knocked out the Jebusites. He took down the greatest uh, arraignment of the Philistines. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back. And I'll close with this one. The next thing he did is, and some of you have heard me share a message about throwing your shoe at Edom, but there was a region. There was a region that the nation of Israel had never conquered. In Genesis chapter 18, God established the borders of Israel. And he said that the borders of Israel will reach all the way over to the great river Euphrates, which is in Iraq. But for Israel, past the Jordan River, there was a tall grouping of mountains known as Edom. And they were, they were considered um, 
unconquerable. There was a fortress built in the top of Edom that you couldn't get in there. There was a small, narrow valley of about a, about a quarter mile wide. And anybody, any army that tried to go in there and fight and conquer that city, they would just throw rocks down on them and destroy them. And so David, in one of his writings in the Psalms, he makes this declaration, I'll throw my shoe at Edom. And he's basically saying, the prophecy that God gave to Joshua, everywhere the, plate, the sole of your foot shall trod, that shall be yours. He said, I can't get up there myself, so I'll throw my shoe ahead of me. And he threw his shoe at Edom. And then he said, I'm coming to get my shoe back. And God helped him take down the, the, the region of Edom and establish their borders all the way to the great river Euphrates. I'm trying to say something to you here. There have been times when you've tried to push into new territory. There have been places where you thought it'd be good if we could extend our influence there. But the enemy has kept you locked down. The enemy has kept you blocked out. But with this, this new anything can happen level of anointing, God's saying, go ahead and throw your shoe at it. Go ahead and try one more time because I'm about to show you what you're capable of experiencing. Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible for God. Go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to bless you and pray for you here today as a congregation. And then there's got some things they want to share with your pastor and leadership. But I just want to tell you, don't waste this season. Do not waste this season. Use it to its fullest, fullest capacity. Take out the Jebusite spirits. Conquer the Philistine adversaries. Soak up the presence of Almighty God and launch out and do greater things. Reach new people, new territory like never before because God is on your side. God, I thank you for the incredible leadership. In 2014, what I said to them was prophetic. What I'm saying today is declarative. It's in, it's in motion right now. They are tearing down Jebusite spirits. They are conquering the largest adversary of oppositions they've ever faced before. They are bathing in your presence and understanding the value of the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Spirit of the Lord resting upon us and giving us power and influence and effectiveness. And God, they are pushing borders. They are pushing back territories. Lord, they are enlarging their influence not just geographically, but Lord, through the internet, through other influences, through connections at conferences, through women's event conferences and other things they're hosting. Lord, they're just going to continue to break out into new territories. And God, I know they've completed 12 incredible years, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I know it's scripture. I know it sounds trivial or trite, but Lord, I don't think that the eye has seen nor has the ear heard what God's going to do in the next 10 years, the next 12 years should you re delay your return. God, there's going to be more Jebusites destroyed, more Philistines conquered, more release of your Holy Spirit and more territory conquered for your namesake. Because it's never been about John and Kaya. It's never been about an individual personality in this room. It's always been about you. And so we lift you up we lift you up. You're the one we're going to exalt. You're the one that's going to get all the praise and the glory. And we will humble ourselves in your holy sight and say, Lord, everything we are and everything we ever shall become will only and exclusively be devoted to you and to who you are. So Lord, I pray that just as John and Kaya have walked out these last few years, these stages of anointing, increasing and multiplying Lord, it's now not only going to be what you get done through them, but what you get done through them, through others. 
the leadership, the multiplication of leaderships, the multiplication perhaps of sites and campuses, whatever that looks like, God. Lord, we just pray that you give them all the people that they need to accomplish the work you've called them to do. Because when David got to the end of his journey, the record shows that there were one million warriors under his command. Lord, this is an anything can happen season. And let it not only happen for John and Kaya, their pastors and their incredible leaders, but let it happen for this church. This is an anything can happen season. Anything can happen season. Take the limits off of God and let Him do things that are exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ask or think or imagine. I pray that blessing and that anointing upon them. And God, whenever my opportunity comes to visit with them and reflect again, I'm just anticipating the celebration will be even multiplied even more greatly because they will have seen the unfolding of this word that is a declaration on this house today. I pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Give the Lord a clap off for the That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.